Welcome to Euclid's We are more animal than we think. Literally. We, we think that we are very complicated creatures who are always deciding what we're going to do and weighing the options and making our bold decisions. But really, we're, we're, we're very, very much animals. You know, on, on your way home from work, you, you suddenly you think about something. Oh, I, I, I want to watch this movie tonight. Or maybe someone mentioned something earlier that they ate and you think, ooh, I got to go get that at my lunch break. And then your whole day's oriented around, I got to get to lunch. Or your whole day's oriented around, I got to get home and get the kids to bed so I can watch that show. Or maybe they're, you know, whatever it is, maybe you see somebody wearing something, you think, oh, that looks so good on them. I got to go get that thing. You know, we're, we function like animals. We see something and it wakes us up, it wakes up a desire, it's like we get a sniff of it. And then we follow it. Now, if you've been around kids, you see this especially clear, because they don't know how to hide that they're animals. We all started getting clever. We're like, we're not an animals, look at me, I'm in a suit. You know, like we find ways to pretend, but children have no pretending. If you watch them on a recess playground, they just look like animals. They split off, they hiss at each other, you know, they, they form little pockets, they go where they're safe, they pull back when they feel threatened. We do the same thing. We have the responses of fight or flight or maybe freeze, but we all respond in similar patterns. We are animals. Now, we're animals with a soul. We're animals who tell stories, so we're not just animals, but we're not not animals. And this brings a story like the story in Exodus into, into a very interesting sort of light for me. I was reading recently a, a study, and I don't know, like when you say, like, I was reading a study, it's like, mm, what are you, a scientist? Like, I don't know anything, all right? I just read them on Facebook like all of you. It's just scientists say, and I'm like, what do they tell me now? Is that whatever they say must be, it's what the scientists are saying. But I did read this study about how to motivate people, and that it was the same way you motivate rats. When they're trying to get rats to solve increasingly complicated mazes, there are different ways they can motivate them. One is through negative action. So you shock the rat so it moves further down the path, and then you shock it on the left side so it goes to the right, and you shock it on the back so it goes ahead, and you can sort of shock it and punish it the whole way through. Not as great a way to control rats as you might think. The best way to control them was to wait until they did something that was at the edge of their competency. Maybe you want a rat to climb a set of stairs. When the rat puts its paw on the first step, boom, pellet. Reward it. It eats the pellet, whoa, that was delicious, I want more of that pellet. So you know it's wandering around, it goes back to the step, it puts its paw on the step again, no pellet. Puts its paw on the next step up, pellet. And so they found that you can train rats to move through incredibly complicated mazes simply by rewarding them with food when they do what you would like them to do. And you can do this in your marriage uh, or in your closest friendships. Meg and I do it all the time. You, if you know you're doing it, it's not manipulation. It's just scratching each other's backs. There will be days where I say to Meg, like, I had a really hard day and I think I was responsible. I need a pellet. And she's like, oh, come here, babe. And she'll, like, rub my head or put food in my mouth. And then I start, you know, if you come home and, and, you know, this isn't just marriage. If you've got housemates, anyone you see all the time, 
You just, when they do something you like, praise it and never punish them for doing a good thing because that, that is really confusing to the animal. So you give positive reinforcement for good things, negative for bad things. Well, reading the Exodus text that we're going to be in, we are in the book of Exodus for the season of Lent. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 16. The Israelites have been in slavery. And in slavery, they have been working dehumanizing jobs, breaking their bodies, losing their culture, losing their connection to the divine, for generations being beat down and used as rats in a cage to build the objects of the empire. And now they're free. But it is one thing to get the people out of Egypt. It is another thing to get the way of Egypt out of the people. Because in Egypt, they also had flesh pots. That's the translation of the word. Um, cauldrons of meat that you'd sit around, you'd shove fatty meat in your mouth. And suddenly, the fact that your culture is being destroyed, your relationships are frayed, your mind is tormented, and everything you value is being taken away isn't so bad because, mmm, flesh. And so when they leave Egypt and they leave the flesh pots, they leave the place of reward, they enter into a conflict. What do we really want? Freedom or pellets? So we're going to read from... Exodus chapter 16, as we've been doing recently, I'm going to read through the entire text with very minimal breaks. I invite you to follow along if you have a pew Bible. I encourage you to bring a Bible from home. If you're looking for a good translation, feel free to talk to me. I'd love to help you find one. But I'm going to be reading from chapter 16, verses 1 to 18. This is after they have been freed from Egypt and after last week what we were speaking about uh, when they finally got water for the first time. And they journeyed onward from Elam. And the community of Israelites came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month that they're going out from Egypt, and all the community of the Israelites murmured against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. And the Israelites said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots, when we ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out to this wilderness to bring death by famine on all this assembly. And the Lord said to Moses, Look, I am about to rain down bread for you from the heavens, and the people shall go out and gather each day's share on that day so that I may test them, whether they will go by my teaching or not. 
and it will happen on the sixth day that they will prepare what they bring in, and it will be double what they gather each day. And Moses and Aaron with him said to the Israelites, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the Lord's glory as he hears your murmurings against the Lord. And as for us, what are we that you should murmur against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you meat in the evening to eat, and your fill of bread in the morning, when the Lord hears your murmurings, that you murmur against him. What are we? Not against us are your murmurings, but against the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, Say to the community of Israelites, Draw near before the Lord, for he has heard your murmurings. And it happened as Aaron was speaking to all the community of Israelites that they turned towards the wilderness and look, the Lord's glory appeared in the cloud. So quick pause just to catch us up before we move into the last section we're going to read. The Israelites have been murmuring. We talked about murmuring last week. It's a very old word that means to murmur. And it's where you just go like, murder, murder, murder. that's like the best illustration. This is not fair and stupid and I missed the blah, blah, blah. So that's murmuring. No problem with murmuring. You know, we all murmur. Murmuring happens. But the Israelites have been murmuring a lot. And they're now being addressed by their leaders. And they turn to picture their leaders. And you got to picture that in this desert wilderness, they see this cloud on the horizon, this forming cloud, and they know that they're going to be spoken to because of all their murmuring. They must assume that it's not going to go well for them as this cloud of glory appears in light of all their murmuring. But the word that they receive is not the word of judgment and condemnation that they would expect as God is revealed. Verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the murmurings of the Israelites. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it happened in the evening that the quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And the layer of dew lifted, and look on the surface of the wilderness. Stuff fine, flaky, fine as frost on the ground. And the Israelites saw, and they said to each other, Mana, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you as food. This is the thing that the Lord charged. Gather from it each man according to what he must eat, and omer to the head, the number of persons among you, each one for their tent you shall take. And the Israelites did this, and they gathered, some more and some less. This is the word of the Lord. And so if the Israelites in Egypt were given meat and bread and lots of it, 
But ultimately, they became unwell psychically, spiritually, socially became unwell as they were distracted eating meat. God here needs to change the operating system of his people. They couldn't enter a new land without desiring the same large amounts of just raw meat, eating in the same sort of animalistic way. They could never establish a culture of justice if they were content or, or convinced that they must always have more meat. They could never establish a community of peace if they were constantly chasing more, more, more food. And so they have to become part of the unforced rhythms of creation, the unforced rhythms of God's grace. Now that they are no longer being treated like animals, but being treated as people, they will need to learn how to synchronize themselves with what a human being ought to live like. Some of you know this. Some of you have come from homes that were abusive or manipulative. If you came from cultures or settings where people were not treated as people, and you may know firsthand that you can enter into a place where your humanity and your dignity is being given to you. But if you are so used to living like an animal, grabbing what scraps you can to survive, you will not be able to receive the good news until it works its way into you. And that's going to be often through the pace that we keep and the amount that we feel we need to grab and grasp and control as opposed to receive and wait and know that it's good. They too are creation. The human being is part of creation. We aren't separate from it. And so as these Israelites are brought into synchronization with creation, they become themselves more and more creation. They become more and more the imago Dei, the image of God bearers that they were always meant to be. They find themselves coming alive, bursting like, like leaves on a tree in the spring, coming into their life as they find these new unforced rhythms. So that's all <clears throat> well and good for them. What does this mean in 2023? What does this mean for us? Well, we still live in a time of empire. We live in a time where there are forces and powers that shape us. And if one was putting on, let's say, a slightly more cynical hat, uh, I'm not even going to give cynicism credit here, skeptical hat, there we go, you can be skeptical. If we were to put on a skeptical hat, you could even imagine that the world we're living in has an empire that moves us through it something like rats in a cage. You know, when you're born, you're stamped out and given a certain title and number, and you are given a place in society, put into an educational system that shapes your imagination and understanding in some ways, but leaves lots of things hidden. And as we've seen in the last four or five years, the hidden secrets of our empire cry out in the ground to be found. 
They scream out and cry out and want to be uncovered. The violence of the empire we've inherited in the West. The violence that we've done to those who lived in this land. The secrets that we've buried that will come back to haunt us. And you can see even that this empire might move us like rats in a cage, not by punishing us at every step, but by giving us pellets when we do what it wants us to do. We get tax breaks, and we get guaranteed incomes for a time. We get all sorts of benefits that are designed to keep us fed so that we don't ask questions about what a human being is meant to be and if the world and culture we are living in right now is actually creating human beings. You could do a search yourself for the CDC's report of mental health in 2022 report. Uh, it's American numbers, so there's some translation for Canadians. But look at the rise of mental health crisis in the last 10 years. Look at the spike around the year 2016 when smartphones and social media became ubiquitous. And the rise of apps that are designed to do what? Bring meat and flesh pots right to your door. I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist. I don't think that there's a board of shadowy figures planning this all, but I wouldn't be shocked. But I don't think that it's quite that material. We are in a time of spiritual warfare. It is our hope that is being eroded. It is our connection with one another that is being frayed. It is our sense of who we are and who other human beings are. That is what is being lost right now. I met a 19-year-old the other day who does not know anyone that he speaks with in body with any regularity. Mother and sister in one city, far away, brother and uh, partner in another, or sorry, father and partner in another city far away, couple friends from high school that have moved in different directions, living in a bedroom of a suburb with no shared contact with others, and everyone in the classes that they're taking are so socially uncomfortable that they don't know how to talk to them and the socialization fails in both directions and so they put their headphones in and survive. What is happening to us? Where's the church? Maybe the church is on its back foot because we've committed atrocities as a part of the empire. We've participated in all the same games that the empire participated in, but no more. No more. God's going to have to start by synchronizing us with creation. If we are going to become part of God's new creation and hope to seed goodness in a city like Hamilton, then we're going to have to begin by being transformed ourselves. It's like we are experiencing our own exodus, and we're going to experience our own wilderness. And that wilderness will teach us new ways to serve others, 
new ways to spend our money, new ways to spend our time, but I don't want to skip over it just because it's so obvious. It's also going to show us new ways to engage with food. Because what we eat has always been tied to our spirit. And we live at a time where if I'm driving or walking through the city, there will be gigantic billboards in the sky telling me I can call a number and have whatever I want sent to my house immediately, and they're not even subtle. They just say, like, satisfy your craving. You're like, oh my gosh, that feels kind of gross. Indulge your senses. I'm like, you want to, like, what are you trying to sleep with me? Like, what is going, what are these ads trying to sell me? You know, like, it big in the sky. There's one that you'll see. I don't even want to give it credit, but it's just so on the nose. Just what a crappy person would say. Like what a whiny toddler would say. There's a billboard that shows a, a number you can call to get the food. It's an app. I'm an old man. It's an app you can use to get the food sent to you. And it's got a picture of, of pancakes. And then it just says next to it, but I wanted blueberries. I wanted blueberries! I wanted blueberries! And like, that sounds silly, maybe to all of us, because we're enlightened, maybe. But like, apparently there's enough people on the street walking around seeing a sign that says, I wanted blueberries! And they think, yeah, that works, I'm gonna use that app. This is crazy! My grandpa would have smacked me for that, and he shouldn't have, but you know, he was old. No, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't. But like, there was a time and a place so recently where that kind of crap wasn't tolerated. There's no virtue in that. There's no goodness in that. It's gluttonous. It's greedy. And people don't even have a place to sleep. And I want blueberries. People are dying in tents on the escarpment. I want blueberries. No. No. Come on, like as God's people, don't we just have to say no more? There's got to be another way to be human. It's got to be a better way. And every great spiritual tradition has known this. Every great spiritual tradition has had people that took in less, that went off into the wilderness. The Apostle Paul in Philippians says that those who are opposed to God, their stomach is their God. And I am just like anyone else. I crave, I desire. My stomach tries to pull me around. It does function like a god to me. It's all is grace. Like, you know, none of us are in trouble. The Israelites murmured and God gave them food, you know. So it, we can fail. It's okay. But we got to acknowledge where we're at. Jesus, in his seminal teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, one of his final words is, do not worry about tomorrow, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or what you will wear. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Just as the Israelites were not to gather more, they were not to stockpile a savings to prepare for tomorrow. They were called to take every day what God gave them, daily bread, just today and nothing beyond it. They were invited into that rhythm. Jesus invites his disciples into that rhythm, and that's still true in 2023. And I also want to say not only is it true, but it's good. 
You know all those desert monks from like every great spiritual tradition who go off into the wilderness to pray? They did it because it's good. Now, I don't get it, and I'm not doing it anytime soon. But I don't think they were stupid. I think that they knew something that in a world like ours, this materialistic and this bloated, it's almost impossible for us to know what they knew. That you can have less, and it is more. And the more you have, the greater chance that it will possess you. It will control you, and you will find yourself longing for the flesh pots. Food is not bad. Food is good. Jesus said that he did not come fasting, but eating and drinking. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. To be a human being is to feast. And to be a human being is to fast. And to be a free human being is to know where you are right now, which way you're leaning to. This is also good news in a time where food prices are skyrocketing. As your grocery bill shoots up in price. Anybody been to a restaurant lately? It's like, I'll get a taco and a tequila. It's like, great, that'll be $53. <laughs> you know, not literally, but like, I can't afford to eat out anymore except for special occasions. And maybe that's okay. But it's not okay if I long for the flesh pots, right? If all I can think about, oh, what's the new restaurant? What's opening? I got to get more, eat more, go out more. Well, then suddenly the rising cost of everything will cause me a great deal of anxiety. You know, and I like grapes, and I too am sad that they are now $13. I miss like $3 grapes back in the day. That was a good day. But you know what? I can eat less grapes, and they're fully satisfying. And my God, I'm not even eating quail and manna. I still get grapes. Like, how good is this? We get to live in the wilderness right now with a little bit less, and we still get meat and grapes. We still get to live like kings and queens. What a time to be alive as Babylon falls. What a gift. But it only is a gift if we receive it as it comes. What God, I think, is doing to the Israelites and what Christ was teaching his disciples to do was to truly be free from worry. And we can hardly imagine such a thing as possible. To be free from the anxieties of every day because we only look at today. And I don't think that that is a theory that's been tried and proven false. I think the idea of looking only at today as all we are responsible for is a theory that has not been tried, but deemed impossible. But it's not impossible. It's good. It's liberating. It's freeing, psychologically freeing, to know that today is all you have to consider. If you do the right thing today, what God has called you to do today, what God has brought to you today, if you eat what God has brought to you today, you will not only have enough, 
you will have abundance. Enough for you and the person next to you and your neighbor and anyone you're called to care for. If we seek God today, tomorrow will take care of itself. Amen.